Hello, and welcome to another episode of the McGill Journal of Law and Health's podcast series, COVID Conversations. Increasing access to COVID-19 vaccines in poor countries around the world is one of the most pressing challenges facing our global community. While high-income and upper-middle-income countries are successfully administering second doses and are even considering administering booster shots, the situation looks vastly different in other countries around the globe, where vaccine campaigns are stalled. Today, Dr. Mark Eccleston-Turner is here to discuss the intellectual property law challenges to global vaccine access and what more must be done to close the gap between countries around the world. Dr. Mark Eccleston-Turner is a lecturer in law at Keele University. His research specializes in the field of international law and infectious diseases, and his research focus lies in the field of pandemic influenza preparedness and access to vaccines and the law of international organizations in the context of global health. He has published extensively on access to vaccines, including on issues of vaccine procurement for developing countries and equitable access models. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Eccleston Turner. Thank you for having me. As of Tuesday, August 3rd, about 1% of people in poor countries have received at least one dose of a COVID-19 vaccine, compared to 55% of people in high-income countries, 38% in upper-middle-income countries, and 18% in lower-middle-income countries. In response, World Health Organization Director General Dr. Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus called for a moratorium on booster shots until at least 10% of the population in poor countries receives their first dose. Dr. Eccleston-Turner, how did this disparity in vaccine access emerge? This disparity is, is, is not just related to, to COVID. We actually saw this disparity during the 2009 H1N1 pandemic, although not as bad as we're, we're seeing it today. Um, and it essentially comes down to the fact that, that high-income countries are able to use their, their economic wealth, their economic power to negotiate uh, to promptly and, and effectively negotiate um, vaccine access contracts. So typically, high-income countries procure most of their vaccines for themselves. They negotiate directly with a, a pharmaceutical manufacturer, and they, they set the price point, they negotiate the terms and, and delivery schedule, and so on and so forth. So high-income countries tend to be quite well experienced at procuring vaccines. Uh, whereas um, the, the least developed countries and, and some lower middle income countries tend not to procure their own vaccines directly with vaccine manufacturers. They tend to go through agencies such as UNICEF to purchase their childhood immunization schedules and so on. So, first of all, one of the, one of the issues is, is around the fact that there is a, in some instances, there's a lack of experience in low and middle income countries of purchasing vaccines in particular. Now, vaccines are, are quite unique when it comes to, to medicines. They're, they're not like drugs. But ultimately, this inequality comes down to, to wealth. And this inequality comes down to, to poverty. And it comes down to the fact that, that high income countries like mine and, and like yours in Canada use our, our significant economic capital to, to purchase vaccines. Um, at very favorable conditions, which low and middle income countries and least developed countries cannot do. This gap emerged despite the fact that many countries foresaw exactly what you're talking about. And in response, they took early calls, calling on the global community to take measures in order to ensure that gaps in vaccine access were mitigated. In particular, South Africa and India, and they were supported by 62 other countries, and now up to over 100 countries, first proposed a TRIPS waiver on October 2nd of 2020. The TRIPS waiver would waive intellectual property barriers and help to upscale production in poor countries. 
what exactly is a TRIPS waiver and how would it impact this inequality that you've been talking about? One of the problems we have in global vaccine equity when it comes to COVID is the fact that we're dealing with a very finite resource. There are only, at present, there are only so many doses which are available in the world right now. And the vast majority of those doses have already been accounted for by a small number of high income countries. Um, so there is a there are there are very few manufacturers around the world who can make vaccines or have experience in making vaccines, and those manufacturers tend to be quite a small number of them, and they're concentrated in a small number of countries around the world. So one of the efforts behind the TRIPS waiver is to potentially expand the manufacturing capacity which is available around the world, increase the number of manufacturers. Um, who are able to make COVID-19 vaccines. So not only expand the number, but also diversify where those manufacturers are based. So it is hoped that vaccine manufacturers can come online in low and middle income countries, uh, particularly low and middle income countries that have some good experience of, of actually making vaccines. I'm thinking of South Africa, Vietnam, Thailand, and which has a which all of which have a, a quite good and robust manufacturing base when it comes to vaccine products. One of the potential barriers which is currently stopping them from doing so, from stopping those manufacturers in, in South Africa or stopping further manufacturers in India or um, Vietnam from actually making COVID-19 vaccines, is potentially intellectual property rules. It is the, the patents um, which are held over some of the technology related to the manufacturing processes for not just mRNA vaccines, but also the, the vaccines which are being made under the AstraZeneca license. Um, so potentially intellectual property poses a barrier in this respect. Now, what we know from other access to medicine campaigns, so things like um, antiretrovirals for HIV, it's very, very clear that the one thing that's stopping new manufacturers popping up in low middle income countries to make antiretrovirals for HIV at a much lower price than, than they can be made by or charging a much lower price than the innovator in a high income country, we know that the barrier in those cases is intellectual property. It's the sole barrier. The one thing which is stopping um, India operating as the pharmacy of the global south as it did for so, so many years is intellectual property rules. But that's when we're talking about oral solid dose drugs, tablets, the sort of things, you know, sort of solid dose tablet form drugs, which is used as a medical treatment for very, very many things. Now, vaccines are different. So tablets are quite easy to make. Medical tablets are quite easy to make. You can make them with not much kit in your kitchen if you really wanted to. I wouldn't recommend it, but you can. Um, it's basically like cooking, okay? You follow a recipe. You follow a very straightforward recipe to make chemical drugs, to make tablets. Vaccines are different. Vaccines are biological products. Vaccines contain organisms, contain living organisms. And they are much more difficult to work with. They, they require a lot more experience to work with. And there is very little experience around the world to actually do this. So one of the things which we need to, to try and bring online vaccine manufacturers in low and middle income countries isn't just intellectual property rights being waived, but it's actually transfer of technology to enable cell line transfers or enable knowledge transfers from vaccine manufacturers in high income countries who have experience of making these 
these vaccines to vaccine manufacturers in low middle-income countries who might not have experience working with the same pathogens or working with the same extraction processes and so on. So what the TRIPS waiver seeks to do is essentially give a temporary right to governments around the world decide their intellectual property obligations in respect of, of COVID-19 vaccine technology. You could, if you were a vaccine manufacturer in South Africa, for example, identify all of the necessary relevant technology which goes into, which you might potentially interfere with if you start to make AstraZeneca's vaccine or if you start to make Pfizer's vaccine. You could look through all of the relevant patents. You could identify the ones which you would have to infringe upon. You could apply to the government and seek that the government would issue a compulsory license to set aside those temporarily allow you to circumvent those, those patents. And at that point, you would have the, the intellectual, the, the legal right to begin making Pfizer's vaccine in South Africa. You could do that, but there are a couple of problems with doing that. Number one, it's costly. You require a team of lawyers to methodically search through every patent application in your jurisdiction, make a decision on if you are infringing or not infringing on that patent, negotiate the right to infringe upon that patent with Pfizer, if that negotiation fails, then try and get the government to issue a compulsory license for each one of those patents. And there could be hundreds of patents which you're infringing upon. This is time consuming and it's costly. And there is always the danger that you might miss something. You might fail or your legal team might fail to identify one of the relevant patents here. And if you begin manufacturing while infringing on someone's intellectual property, they could seek an injunction to stop you from manufacturing and the whole thing gets shut down. What the TRIPS waiver would do would give permission to the South African government to essentially say to those vaccine manufacturers, don't worry about these patents. Don't worry about searching through all of these patent thickets. Don't worry about negotiating agreements. Don't worry about trying to get licenses sorted. Start manufacturing regardless of if infringement occurs. So what the TRIPS waiver seeks to do is give legal certainty to vaccine manufacturers in low and middle income countries that if they begin manufacturing these, these vaccines, they will not have a legal claim brought against them for patent infringement. The problem with the, the TRIPS waiver is that actually it doesn't address the major barrier here. It doesn't address transfer of technology because even if those patents didn't exist, or even if that manufacturer in South Africa had permission to infringe upon those patents, that doesn't necessarily mean that a manufacturer based in South Africa would be able to start making a COVID-19 vaccine. There, there are these, these other barriers, this transfer of technology, this know-how, which is actually preventing them from being able to do so. So we need the TRIPS waiver, but we also need significant efforts around transfer of technology. And the TRIPS waiver doesn't give a particularly good solution in respect of transfer of technology. While countries around the world continue to advocate for a TRIPS waiver, Dr. Eccleston-Turner explains some of the structural barriers that are preventing technology transfer to lower-income countries, even if a TRIPS waiver is approved. The good thing about patents is that in order to be granted a patent, you must place your information in the public domain. You must disclose how your invention works. The thing with transfer of technology and the thing with know-how is it's not in the public domain. It's a trade secret. And it remains a secret 
for as long as the manufacturers can keep it one. So what we need here is we need manufacturers to engage in transfer of technology. There's nothing within the TRIPS waiver which can compel them to do so. How you actually incentivize that transfer of technology is, is, is ultimately the question. Whether you use things like financial incentives for transfer of technology or you, you could use an organization like the WHO as a, uh, to act as a, a pooling mechanism in the way that you know, the medicine patents pool has done. There are some options out there. None of them are neat though and all of them take time. And what would the one thing we do not have in this situation is time. So I think one of the things that frustrates me in this, in this area when we're talking about equitable access is that people talk about the TRIPS waiver as if it's a silver bullet when it's, it's really not. When act, in actual fact, what we need is something like the TRIPS waiver and we need transfer of technology, but we needed it before COVID even began. We need manufacturing capacity in low middle income countries for the next pandemic. It's too late for this one almost. Um, we need it for the, for the next one. But what we need during this pandemic is we need the, the rampant vaccine nationalism, which high income countries are, are engaged in. Um, that is a, a huge structural, a huge barrier to, to equitable access in, in low middle income countries. We are now in a situation where countries like mine are considering giving boosters this winter, all while healthcare workers on the front line in, in some of the poorest countries in the world are going to work with, with no vaccination and in very many circumstances, wholly inadequate PPE. There's a huge inequality and injustice here. And, and the actions of my government and the actions of, of a number of governments around the world is is exacerbating that inequality and making it worse, making it much worse. And, and you know, Dr. Tedros was, was right when he called this a moral failing. It is a catastrophic moral failing. And it's a catastrophic moral failing which the TRIPS waiver alone will not fix. So it's all well and good, the fact that some high-income countries have now finally come round to supporting um, a TRIPS waiver, but it, it's very much too little too late because... The problem that the TRIPS waiver is seeking to resolve was caused by us in the first place. It was caused by us purchasing far more vaccines than we required, having those delivered much, much earlier in the pandemic um, than in low and middle income countries. There's essentially two inequalities in this scenario. The first one is the inequality of number of doses. We have far more doses than we need. Low and middle income countries have nowhere near as many doses as they need. But another huge inequality in this is the one of time, is that, that we're now in a situation where I, as a relatively healthy, young 30-year-old man, am double-dosed with Pfizer in my, in my country, where you know, a healthcare worker on the front line in a low-income country hasn't received their first dose yet. So there's not just inequality in numbers of doses, it's timing of doses. I mean, we'd immunize pretty much our entire healthcare system in January of this year, maybe into February. And there are, you know, doctors and nurses and healthcare workers around the world still going to work today and tomorrow and for the very much foreseeable future without having received anything, without even receiving one doses. And that is a huge structural inequality the interesting thing about this is we talk about it as it, it, we talk about inequality and we talk about poverty as being the root of this as if they're as if they're natural phenomena and they're, they're not. This is a man-made problem. This is a problem that we very much caused. 
Despite widespread global support from civil society, including from intellectual property law professors and various high-profile non-governmental organizations such as Médecins Sans Frontières, the World Trade Organization negotiations have so far failed to produce a TRIPS waiver. We asked Dr. Eccleston Turner to explain his thoughts on why so many high-income countries, including Canada, the UK, the EU, Australia, and Japan, continue to refuse to support this waiver. The logic for doing so is, I mean, I, I cannot think of anything that, that logically makes sense to do it. You know, the, the, the countries which you reeled off there are traditionally quite protectionist when it comes to intellectual property and rules, particularly pharmaceutical intellectual properties. Um, so we, we have a long-standing um, protectionist approach when it comes to, to IP rights um, because fundamentally we have a market-driven we, we allow the market to dictate how medicines are developed and how medicines are distributed around the world. Intellectual property rights are fundament fundamentally justified, particularly in the, in the area of, of pharmaceuticals on the basis of the economic theory of patents, which is that if patents didn't exist, um, manufacturers wouldn't have the economic incentive to invest in research and development and making, making vaccines and making drugs and making making treatments around the world and and we as a society or, or have sort of accepted that logic hook line and sinker and rather than rather than thinking well actually there might be a better way to develop drugs and incentivize manufacturers to develop new drugs which is what we want them to do and what they're very good at there might be a better way to do that than market forces there might be a better way to incentivize that you know, drug manufacturers uh, or vaccine manufacturers or researchers to engage in R and D other than the market, because the market is skewed, right? The market is skewed in favour of developing treatments which affect individuals in you know broadly in in high income countries because we're a ready market which can afford and to pay for the treatments. And that means that the economic incentive doesn't exist to, to research, to engage in research and development regarding conditions which affect individuals who live in low-income countries because that's not a ready market. They do not have the economic means to afford the treatment if one is developed. And, you know, that is a fundamentally broken system, right? It's it, this idea that, that the market can, can you know, we've put our faith in this market-based approach to pharmaceuticals and a market-based approach to pharmaceuticals requires strong intellectual property protection when really right now we should be think we should be recognizing that actually the market is quite broken i know a market-based approach to pharmaceuticals is certainly broken we should be considering what the better way to approach this might be which leads to protectionist policies that you know the WTO when it comes to, to intellectual property. One existing alternative to increase access to vaccines around the world is COVAX. Pfizer and Moderna have both agreed to supply some vaccines to COVAX, but a significant majority of their doses have been reserved by rich countries. For instance, the United States has procured over 1.6 billion doses so far, or enough doses for each American to get five vaccines, and Canada has procured enough for each resident to get over 10 shots. Despite recent increases in donations to COVAX, the amount donated continues to fall short of the 11 billion doses needed to reach the targets to vaccinate people in poorer countries. 
In fact, about 60 poor countries are completely stalled in their vaccination campaigns, and they do not anticipate an increase in supply until the end of 2021. Dr. Eccleston-Turner highlights some of the successes and limitations of COVAX. COVAX has two, two arms of it, right? So COVAX is part of the ACT Accelerator, which was designed to rapidly to accelerate or to increase the R&D incentives around vaccines and therapeutics and diagnostics for, for COVID-19. Um, and also COVAX acts as a procurement agent with regards to, to vaccines. And COVAX has been, or the ACT Accelerator has been very successful at bringing online vaccines quicker than they've ever been brought online before. It's certainly worked in that regard. You know, the, the vaccines which have been developed were developed faster than any other vaccine has, has been developed in human history. But the, the funding arm of, of COVAX is, is significantly underfunded. But it's also, um, so it's not just an issue of, of the, the capital funding as being insignificant, but COVAX is in direct competition with high-income countries like yours and, and like mine. And one of the problems we have is that we, we don't know what the contractual arrangements that COVAX has agreed to are, because these are not matters of public record, nor are the, you know, the contracts that the UK assigned matters of public record. So we don't know how much COVAX is paying per dose versus how much the UK is paying per dose and Canada and so on, and whether that, has, that leads to, to quicker. So whether you know, we're paying more per dose if it means we get it faster, and COVAX doesn't necessarily have the economic means to be able to do that. One of the other big problems for COVAX is around indemnification and liability for, for any harm which is caused by the vaccine, because not only does COVAX have to purchase the vaccines, but it also has to essentially create an insurance system whereby if they provide vaccines to a low middle income country, someone receives the vaccine and they develop a, an adverse event, there needs to be a products liability system in place for that harm. Um, and COVAX also needs to fund that. And the only way it can fund it is by ask, is seeking donations from, from high income countries. But you know, when it comes to COVAX as a procurement agent, that's one of the, one of the barriers which it has. But to go back to the point which I, I made earlier, we're talking about a finite resource. Okay, so there is there are a, a definite finite number of vaccines which can be manufactured at any one time. And COVAX is directly in competition with you know the EU, the UK, Canada, the US to purchase those vaccines. And Canada, the US, and the UK has deeper pockets than COVAX and can therefore offer a better price or better terms than COVAX can. It is again the market dictating where these vaccines should go, not need go dictating where these vaccines should go. And that's fundamentally the problem here, is that we have vaccine distribution on the basis of ability to pay, not on the basis of need. This summer, Dr. Tedros stated, vaccine inequity is the world's biggest obstacle to ending this pandemic and recovering from COVID-19. As Dr. Eccleston-Turner highlighted, we have a long way to go to achieve vaccine equity around the world. In fact, the challenges highlighted by Dr. Eccleston-Turner to doing so, such as the lack of a TRIPS waiver and the lack of technology transfer, and the structural barriers created by our global economy, illustrate that our current legal frameworks are not set up to allow for global access to vaccines. New policy, economic, and legal frameworks are clearly needed to allow us to better respond to future pandemics. In the meantime, concerned citizens can reach out to their elected officials to demand vaccine equity. Thank you for joining us on another episode of COVID Conversations.